we will overcome with him. And uh, we will see that as, the, as this uh, great book in the Bible continues to unfold before us. We're in Revelation chapter 6 to begin with uh, this morning. Thank you for all the music and thank you for the preparation that goes behind it all. That's uh, something that I'm always so thankful for, just the preparation. Well, we've been through chapter number 1 where we declared that Jesus Christ rules the world. And we've kind of taken that as uh, our theme, our title uh, throughout this series. He rules the world. And the emphasis was placed on Jesus Christ. And that's where it began and that's where it will end. And we are grateful for that. And then we moved on to chapters 2 and 3 and we discussed the church at Thyatira. We took that one church and, and focused on the idea of, of, of how Jesus confronts uh, sexual sins. And uh, such an important discussion today in our society, in our world, and the church needs to be clear as to where it stands on those things. And, and we saw great results and response as we looked at uh, Revelation in that light. And then Revelation 4 and 5. Revelation 4, we discussed the glimpse of heaven as John saw it and ushered us in and gave us a little tour, if you will, of some things that are going to take place in heaven before the seals would be opened and the majority of the book of Revelation would discuss the judgments that were to come. And then Revelation 5, there was this book that needed to be opened. We discussed last week that there was no one worthy to open the books and to, and to read the scroll. And, and they found one that was worthy in heaven. His name was Jesus. And we discussed how worthy he is last week and what we can give him and how he is worthy of our praise. And, uh, but I want to more, I want to, I want to discuss here today something about the scrolls because the scrolls now need to be opened and we're not going to take time to open up every scroll and, uh, to, to dissect every single individual scroll and, and, and all of those things individually. But we are going to attempt this morning, uh, to address some things that deal with prophecy, but not just, just the future, but how to bring it down to where we are today, right here at Gospel Light Baptist Church, where we live, where we sit, how, we, uh, how we're living in these last days as we await our King to come, but how should we be living? What is the emphasis that should, we should be placing on this walk that we have with Jesus Christ? And so it is time to open the scrolls in Revelation 6. We found that only Jesus was worthy to reveal God's plan for judgment that will culminate human history that will close human history so look at revelation chapter 6 i'm going to read you some quick verses here i'll need you to listen be attentive and give me your ear as we go through this study not quickly but very uh very cautiously and carefully but quickly probably as well so hang tight with me as we read through a few verses in revelation 6 and i saw when the lamb opened one of the seals and i heard as it were the noise of thunder one of the four beasts saying come and see and I saw, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard a second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another and there was given unto him a great sword. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. 
And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and, and see, thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And when he'd opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death. And hell followed him, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with beast of the earth. A fourth part of the earth killed in one sweeping blow in that verse. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony, the witness which they had. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And I beheld when they had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And then on through the rest of the chapter, in chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, all the way through chapter 19 in the book of Revelation, we see these judgments being laid out. The severity of these judgments and all of these things that are so mind-boggling. Well, I want to begin with discussing that in in this seven-year period that Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 19 discusses and unfolds. It's a seven-year period that will end human history as we know it. And as I thought about this, I began to understand that there are some things that we need to understand if we're truly going to be able to, to look at the rest of the book of Revelation in the proper manner. One of those passages that we really need to understand or attempt to understand or begin to understand is Daniel chapter 9 because much of prophecy is rooted in Daniel chapter 9. Another chapter in scripture is Matthew 24 where much of prophecy and what we're seeing unfolded here and we're not going verse by verse through Revelation. We're talking today about the wrath of God and some of the things that will happen uh, at the end of the age and so in order to understand those things we must also look at Matthew chapter number 24. So I want to make a couple of statements to introduce the message. And I'm going to take a couple of moments to read out of Daniel chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 24. And then as you've been so kind to let me lay this foundation, obviously you sensed the severity of uh, Revelation chapter 6. These are verses that we have not read quite like yet in our, in our series. In the first five messages, we haven't come across anything quite like Revelation chapter 6. So this is kind of an eye-opener. Uh, if you're visiting with us today, it's going to be fine. You're going to learn some things, uh, and there's going to be some, some questions you're, go- you're going to have to answer. And uh, things will get rather serious, and yet also very practical. I promise you that. I've, that's my commitment to this series, is that we, we not make it a series about just prophecy, but we make it a series that is applicable to everyone sitting in the room so that when they walk out, they can have something to take with them throughout the week. So statement number one is this. There is a seven-year period in the near future which immediately precedes the second coming of Christ. There is a seven-year period in the near future which immediately precedes the second coming of Christ. Now, if you turn to Daniel, I'm going to go there now, Daniel chapter number 9, and I'm going to begin to read a few verses here that just we need to understand. 
it talks about the 70 weeks, this thing called 70 weeks. Now, of those 70 weeks, just so you'll, just by way of introduction, 69 of those weeks, all seven weeks, uh, uh, 70 weeks rather, contain in each of those weeks seven years, 490 years. 483 of those years have already been completed. There is only one week left, seven years uh, left that we're waiting for, that, that we're talking about, that we're studying about here in Revelation. Notice in verse 24, something I mentioned we need to, to understand. 70 weeks, Daniel 9, are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city, that's Jerusalem, to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins. I like that, don't you? That sounds good to me. So there's coming a time that is going to make an end of sin and to make reconciliation for iniquity. That's the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. That's coming, Daniel says. And to bring in everlasting righteousness. Hallelujah. That's going to be a good day. An eternity for those who know Jesus Christ, who have trusted Jesus Christ, to forgive them of their sins. There is a place called heaven where we'll spend an eternity and everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy. No longer will we need to hear the words of God because we're going to see Jesus face to face. And so there'll come an end of all of that and to anoint the most holy. We're going to live forever with Jesus in heaven. So these are things that are to come in this, in this last week. Know therefore, or after this last week, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. Threescore and two weeks is how many weeks? Sixty-two. Sixty-two plus seven weeks is how many weeks? Sixty-nine. So there's one week left. Got threescore and... and uh, and two, 62, got seven weeks, that's 69. One week is left. That one week represents seven years, and that's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not, the, uh, not, but not for himself. The people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and to the end of the war, desolation. Very important word we're going to see in the book of Revelation. Desolations are determined. And he, shall, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. He, being the Antichrist, shall confirm the covenant. We, we re, Really, we're reading about that in Revelation chapter 6. He'll do that for many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. And that's, that describes truly... The, the seven years, the first three and a half years being the beginning of sorrows, the last three and a half years being the great tribulation, and the Antichrist will spread abomination. He'll make it desolate even into the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. That speaks of Jesus Christ who is coming back to put an end to the Antichrist and to sin and, and to uh, all, of the, all of the other things that, uh, that have come against his, his cause, his name, and the people of God. So that's Daniel chapter 9. That seven-year period was prophesied in the Old Testament. Daniel, Daniel described some of that. He, he told us about this, this seven-year period that was coming, representing the final week before the end of human history as we know it. Statement number two. The seven-year period begins with three and a half years. And Jesus referred to these three and a half years as the beginning of 
sorrows. The Antichrist will start to take control and uh, to rule the world. And during the the beginning of the seven-year period, he will begin to do that. And then comes what's called the Great Tribulation. That's the last three and a half years. The Antichrist will build loyalty through all these incredible world disturbances, earthquakes and floods and, uh, and, 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 and wars and things that will take place. And as a result of those, the Antichrist will use those disturbances, those great world disturbances to begin to take his place as ruler of the known world at that time. And what we've heard about is something called the rapture, right? The rapture of the church. There's been a lot of discussion about the pre-trib rapture or the, or the mid-trib rapture or the post-trib rapture. A lot of discussion about that, you know. And truth of the matter is, the, I was a member of a church for a long time that, that believed in a mid-trib rapture. And he taught that. And uh, that, was, that was just his thoughts and, and his opinion of prophecy. We take the position here more at Gospel Light of a, of a pre-trib rapture. And yet we've got to be careful because the truth is anytime the word tribulation is mentioned in Scripture, it's not speaking of a seven-year tribulation. The only time tribulation is used in reference to the seven years is the Great Tribulation, which is the last three and a half years. There's a seven-year period, but tribulation is even now for the Christian. The truth is the Bible speaks of all of us experiencing as believers trials and tribulations. We are going through tribulation even now in the world today. Those that are standing for the cause of Christ are suffering and even being killed today for the name of Jesus. Today. But we will be raptured out of here, you might say, before it gets too bad. And however that looks, the truth is, the truth is I may take a pre-trib position, but I'm definitely not going to argue that, discuss that, or debate that. Because I believe the bottom line is this, church. Christ is returning. And I want to be more about Christ is returning and what manner of man and women should we be before he returns. That's the essence. That's the real, that's what we need to learn. Not argue about when he's coming, but, but prepare for his coming. And scripture teaches that in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 10 and 11 on the screen. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In the which the heavens and shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the, uh, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, seeing then that all these things shall come to pass that we've been studying, understanding that with a greater understanding of all these things we've been discussing, here it is, church, what manner of persons ought ye to be that's for you that's for me that's why i'm preaching this series the end is coming question church what manner of person are you right now in all holy conversation and godliness jesus is coming back amen but is his bride preparing for his return what kind of people are we as members of gospelite baptist church in light of the fact that jesus is returning now let's turn to matthew 24 and we'll we'll really move through the message now i'm going to give you six characteristics of what is going to go on during the beginning of sorrows and the great tribulation and we're going to look at these characteristics one by one and discuss them because jesus said when these things start to happen it's now 
When these things that we're going to look at today, when these things start to happen, get ready. It's coming. It's now. It's happening. It could be any moment. So let's not be caught off guard. Let's not be twiddling our thumbs. Let's not be wasting time. Let's not be playing church. Let's not be hardening our hearts. Let's not be saying, oh, I'll get serious about serving God later. I'll volunteer for that position at church when I have time. Oh, no, 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 no. What manner of persons shall we be? And so I have a great responsibility as pastor of this local church to make sure that the people that attend here have an understanding of of what this means and, and, and what it means for us today and how we should be living in light of that. Because I believe with all my heart, church, that we are living at the close of the age. I believe that with all my heart. I don't think anybody, I don't think there's ever been uh, a, a, a time in church history where a pastor can stand up with more confidence and say, I believe the end is near. Sometimes I wonder how preachers were able to do that 50 years ago. I really wonder. They were saying it 50 years ago, but I don't really see how they were able to do it. In light of all that we have going on today, I think there is more authority for pastors to stand and make that statement than ever before. And I'm going to give you proof. In Matthew 24, beginning in verse number 3, here's where the proof begins. The scripture says, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him, privately saying, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the signs of thy coming and of the end of the world? It's kind of humorous to read the first two verses, church. Almost, I'll go ahead and read them to you. Jesus, uh, he went out. He had just wept over the city of Jerusalem. A pretty intense moment if you've ever read those last four or five verses of Matthew 23. Awesome verses describing the compassion that Jesus had for Jerusalem. And he went out and departed from the temple. And the disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. These guys didn't get it. Sometimes I know we don't get it either. They wanted to show him the buildings of the temple. Oh, look how beautiful these buildings are. Here Jesus just poured his heart out. And, 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 and they are concerned about how beautiful these buildings are. And Jesus interrupts them and says, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, verse 2, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. You can imagine they were like, Oh, sorry for asking. Sorry for commenting about all the beautiful buildings. Jesus makes sure they know, guys... You're not thinking straight. The end is near. And so they asked the question, well, Jesus, seeing that all these things shall be, can you give us the signs of your coming, the end of the world? And Jesus answers and says unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. How do we know that we're close to the end? How can this pastor stand up and say with great authority today that we are close to the end of the age and what manner of persons should we be in all manner of holy conversation? And living. What should we be? Well, number one, we know we're close to the end because it will be a time of unparalleled persecution. Incredible, unbelievable, never experienced before in the history of the world, just like it, persecution. 
Look at verse number 4 again with me as we, as we move through this. And just those of you that are wondering, we will end on an encouraging note, and I will encourage you. But church, sometimes we just need to get real serious. Verse 4, or verse 5. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. He's talking about the end of the world. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of war. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. But this is just the beginning of sorrows. The end is not yet. This is just the beginning. Do you see those things happening now? Do you see the birth pains of the end of the world? You know, my wife uh, and I have had five children. Actually, she actually had them. I was just there reading a magazine until she started making some really loud noises, you know. Come on, guys. Let's just be honest, you know. we, We have no clue. And... Ladies, I think it, it seems to be like this. I've never been where you have been, obviously. But it seems like that in those early stages, those birth pains, the beginning of travailing is greater pains more frequently. Is that how it is? Greater pains more frequently. And can I tell you, I believe we're seeing that today. Greater pains in our world more frequently seems like every day there's another war. Every day there's another national catastrophe. Every day there's another mind-boggling video that Islam is putting out for everyone to see. Some man burning in a cage. Some head being chopped off. Every day. More and more. Frequently. But this. It's the beginning of sorrows. We're just getting started. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. And shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. It'll be a time of unparalleled persecution. Church, more than ever before in frequency and severity, God's people, the followers of Jesus Christ, have become increasingly unpopular. The followers of Christ and the Jews becoming increasingly unpopular. The antagonism towards people who are unapologetically followers of Jesus Christ is incredible. Even in some families and especially in the marketplace. And the only intolerance that is tolerated is the hatred of people, a fervent belief in Jesus Christ. I mean, you can be fervent about about Buddhism and it's okay. You can be fervent about... Islam, and it's okay. But if you're a fervent follower of Jesus Christ, shut up. You're a bigot. You be fervent about the Word of God and your faith in Jesus Christ, and you will be blasted. Be prepared. We don't need to miss that. We need to understand these things. And by the way, we don't miss all that. You know, sometimes I think we're a little bit too a little bit too giddy about the rapture. Oh, I'm so glad we won't have to go through anything. We're going to be out of here. 
Well, that sure is a slap in the face to everybody around the world that bears the name of Jesus Christ and is going through a lot while we sit in our air-conditioned churches, twiddle our thumbs, and eat buffets all week. Truth of the matter is, is we are not exempt. We don't get a free ticket from suffering. There could be some martyrs sitting in this room. I didn't figure I'd get an amen there, but it's true. How bad will it be, preacher? Four things. One, we will lose respect. That's beginning right now. You say to someone, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus Christ. And see what happens, especially in the Northeast. But it's coming to the Bible Belt. It's coming to the Bible Belt, church. But there are some places in the, in, 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 that are worse than others in, in our country. I mean, to be honest with you, I, there, I've been to some places in Hot Springs where I've been a little happy about my Christianity and gotten some pretty ugly looks, you know. Number two, we will lose rights. And by the way, we're already losing rights. We're being told that we have no right to say something is not right. Read Romans chapter 1. I'll not take time to read that. It's not, that's not, it's not time or place this morning to take the time to read Romans 1. But I encourage you to mark that in the margin of your Bible and in your small groups this week. Just, just read through Romans chapter 1. That, that's happening right now. Number three, some will be beaten. I say that because I do believe that it's very possible that some even in this room, in our country, will be beaten. Some may be killed. Number four, some will lose their life for Christ's sake. Let's talk about that for just a moment. The increase of martyrdom in the church of Jesus Christ over the past 2,000 years is startling. Now, I've got uh, something here on the screen for you. We're just going to kind of, I want you to do something, though. Write down a number, if you've got a pen out, just maybe in in your note. Write down how many martyrs you think there's been in the last 2,000 years. Just write down a number. How many martyrs that have died in all across the the scope of Christianity. We're not talking about those that have died for Islam or but just Christianity. Write down a number that you think. Just guess. All right, let's look here. Can't just put the first confessions of perpetrators of martyrdom totals, uh, state ruling power, okay, fifty five million. We're not there yet. That's just the first number. Fifty five million eight hundred and seventy one thousand martyrs from AD thirty three to two thousand from state ruling powers. All right, next number. Atheist. Okay, we're talking about, you know, large world powers like the Kremlin and others that just don't believe in God. Atheistic countries, atheistic regimes have killed, in the last 2,000 years, 31,689,000 professing Christians. All right, next number. Muslims have killed 9,121,000, and that's going up fast. They're killing them today. Ken, just keep going. Keep going. Roman Catholics, keep going. Keep going. Buddhists, Hindus. All right, ready? When you come to the last number, Ken, stop before you get the total. All right, are you ready for the total? All right, here it is. 69,420,000 martyrs for the name of Christ. So before we start talking about the fact that, well, we're not going to have to go through anything. We'll just be out of here. Time out. 69 million people have died for the cause of Christ. 
69 million people have laid down their lives for Jesus. You know what? I think you and I can get up early in the morning and go to Sunday school. Amen? I think maybe some of us can sacrifice for the cause of Christ. Amen, church? I mean, listen, there is a work to do for us even here today. That's just an estimate, by the way. Let's not just think that we get some lucky break because we live in Hot Springs, Arkansas, the Bible Belt. We just kind of got lucky. We'll probably never be on a list like that. So it'll be a time of unparalleled persecution. Number two, it'll be a time of defection for false believers. A time of defection for false believers. When someone was asked the question, uh, give a reason why people who are pretending to follow Christ will leave the church once and for all. They gave ten reasons. The number one reason by far, get this, this is why people will leave the church and stop following Jesus Christ. Number one reason, persecution. Number one answer. A large number of people were asked that question. What, what are the, give us some reasons why you believe someone would leave the church and walk away from Jesus. You see, persecution will reveal pretenders in a hurry. Notice verse number 10. And then shall many be offended, Matthew 24, 10, and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Here we have a group of people that are going to walk away from Christ. They're going to walk away from Jesus. They're going to leave the church. Things are going to get tough. And they're going to say, I didn't sign up for this. I, I, I didn't say, hey, look, I just wanted to come here. A little guy get up there and talk a little bit, make me feel good. I prayed a little prayer one day, you know, because he said if I prayed it, I'd get to go to heaven. So I'm good. But now you're talking about all this stuff. I'll probably lose some people next Sunday because of this message. Because I'm not getting up here smiling and telling you, oh, it's going to be great. Just get saved and you'll have a wonderful life. That's what you want to hear. That's what some guys are saying. But that's a lie. That, that, that's not true. That, yeah, it's a wonderful life to be a Christian. I've got a, uh, the joy that is set before me. But there's some things we endure as Christians. Some hardships. There's some tribulation. But I tell you what, when I think about heaven, amen, when I think about how good God's been to me and all the blessings of God, man, listen, I, 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 want, I want to make sure that my life is, is not a pretender. But it's authentic. It's real. Let me give you three reasons why people will leave and walk away. Number one, the cost will be too high. The cost will be too high. When following Jesus Christ begins to cost something, people won't want it anymore. They won't want it anymore. I didn't see suffering in the fine print when I joined Gospel Light. I didn't see suffering in the fine print when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, or at least when I prayed that prayer. Nobody told me that it might get tough. Nobody told me you'd, you'd actually ask us to... The Bible says we got to get 10%. Dude, I'm out of here. 10%? That's too much. Hey, listen. Pretty soon, we're going to two services on Sunday morning. And here in a couple weeks, we're scared after death this won't work. Here's why. Because we need so many volunteers in this room that we're thinking, if we don't get people to sign up and say, I'll volunteer and I'll help, we're not going to be able to pull these two services off. Right now we have a Sunday morning service at 10.30, and then we have a Sunday night service at 6. 
It's very challenging to get people to help on Sunday morning because everybody wants to be in church. I don't blame you. I'd want to be in church too. I love this. So there's a bunch of folks that are working in the ministry so we can be in here. And they come back at 6 o'clock along with another 50 or 60 people and we have 100 or so every Sunday night, 100 and sometimes more. The majority of those are people that have labored and worked. And so what we'd like to do is combine the services, have two services. Those that come at 1030... Well, they, they labor at 9 and serve at 9 in children's ministries and, 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 the, and the bus ministries and the nursery ministries and, and the parking lot ministries and the greeting ministries. They work, they, they, they're, they're excited. Then they go to church at 9 o'clock and serve at 10.30 and those that go to church at 10.30 serve at 9 o'clock. Brother Eric, I, so you mean we got to like, are you talking about like Sundays now? We got to be here like another hour and a half? Oh. Listen, when I joined, I didn't know you guys were going to do all this stuff and actually ask us to volunteer and help. A lot of people are going to walk away. See, when the going gets tough, you find out who is really the real deal. When sacrifice is involved, when it means you have to give something up to serve the one true and living God, you find out if you really do love the one true and living God. When the price gets too high, people start to bail. Number two, the deception will be too convincing. The reason why people will fall away, I'm not talking about wheat, I'm talking about tares. I'm not talking about sheep, I'm talking about goats. I'm not talking about people who got saved and lost it. No, these people were never saved in the first place. Look at verse 11, it's interesting. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many the deception will be too convincing the antichrist will come on the scene and man it'll be like man that preacher was crazy capace was nuts he told us this guy was bad man he is the deal he's awesome i love this guy man he is so cool false prophets false preachers the antichrist and all of his entourage He'll begin, the world will begin experiencing world peace, but I tell you where it's going to start is in the Middle East, and that's going to be pretty impressive. If somebody can come on the scene and actually get the Middle East to get along, it's going to be like, this guy is the bomb. But what we're going to say is, no, he's not the bomb. He's an antichrist. When they say he's awesome, what are we going to say? No, God is awesome. That's what we're going to say, right? Because we're, t- we're reserving that word for God and God alone now, right? Even me. God is awesome. Number three, another reason why people obey is sin will be too attractive. Just sin will be just too attractive to stick with it. Verse 12. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Man, it'll just be, sin will be everywhere. It'll be lawlessness The opportunity to sin will be so prevalent. Iniquity shall abound. Lawlessness will increase. There'll be disrespect for authority in school, in church, in the police department, in the government. Pornography will be rampant. Prostitution will be the norm. There's more adult bookstores today in America than McDonald's. It's on Highway 40 coming from Memphis to Little Rock. Every exit has an adult bookstore. Triple X, I'm like, wow, what in the world? It just seems like, and they're like malls. 
outlet malls. Sin is abounding. You know, I'm in Revelation, but I don't feel like I'm predicting the future. I feel like I'm listening to the nightly news. I feel like I'm watching the nightly news or reading the paper, not studying Revelation. That's when you know the end is near. That's when you really want to be ready and aware and understanding these things. Now, let me encourage you for a minute. I'm good at that, right? Let me encourage you for a minute. First of all, just to, let me go on the record. I am not all I want to be for Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen right there? Just so you know, just in case one person in this room is thinking, man, he must have it all together. He wouldn't be preaching this. No, 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 no. I'm not everything I want to be for Jesus Christ. There's a difference between Peter and Judas in Scripture. Did Peter fall? Yes or no? He did. What did Peter do when he fell? By the grace of God, he what? He got back up. He got back up. Peter fell and got back up. Judas Judas was was in until it got tough. And when it got tough, he, he bailed. He got away. You see, really the question here today is, are you Peter or are you Judas? Which one are you? That's the question. Which one are you? We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall. We're not going to be perfect. But when we do, by the grace of God, let's get back up. And if you're Peter, God will give you the grace to get back up. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. But if you're Judas, oh, listen, harden not your heart. You see, preacher, that's tough stuff. Well, this is a hard saying. Who will hear it? It's hard stuff, I know, but who will hear it? And so I'm asking you today to understand that we're not talking about being perfect people. We're just talking about getting back up and serving God every time. We're not going to walk away. Number three, real quickly here. Number one, it'll be a time of unparalleled persecution. It'll be a time of defection for false believers. It will culminate with a declaration of the gospel to the whole world. Look at verse 14. And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world. For a witness unto all nations. And when when that happens, then shall the end come. When the whole world has heard the gospel. Again, 50 years ago, the majority of the world, much of the world, half of the world, did not have the gospel. They didn't even have the Bible in print. But today, get this church, this is exciting. Because what we just read, let me read it again, verse 14. Think about it and let me make this statement. And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations. Fewer and fewer nations, fewer and fewer dialects that don't have the gospel in their own language today. Fewer and fewer. We have a graduate of Champion Baptist College that is a part of an organization that is taking the Bible and translating it into, into, di- into, into language where, that, where dialects don't have the Bible. She's involved in that. She's in dangerous places being used of God to translate the scriptures. How cool is that? It's awesome. The world is getting the gospel. Missionaries are going to dark places and difficult fields. Just on the way in, I... This is, uh, I believe, Marcia is Ken, your uncle? Ken, uh, Marcia Thomas's uncle, Ken Lyles. I just took, took his letter from last month. Get this. 
He just had quadruple bypass surgery. Is that a lot of, that's got to be a lot, right? Quadruple? That's quite a few, isn't it? So this guy's probably going to just retire and lay it down. I mean, I don't blame him. Quadruple bypass surgery? Good night. Hang it up, Brother Ken. He says, I've made remarkable progress, so we're planning to leave for Lebanon. This guy's like 80. You're going to Lebanon. That don't sound like a safe place to me. He says, we're going to continue, you say, what does he do, brother? We're going to continue our mission, uh, mission ministry to displaced Iranians in the UK, the Netherlands, Denmark, Turkey, and Greece. Our goal for the Syrian, uh, for the Syrian refugees is 100 house churches in two years. Man, I read this thing and I just got, I got pumped. They need $3,000 to, to, to do something. And I'm thinking, 3000 bucks. Man, we've got to get these missionaries the money they need so that they can get the gospel to the world so Jesus will come back. Because the end is here. And when the world hears the gospel, when that happens, get ready. The end's coming. Oh, I love to read about these missionaries going all over the world. That's why we need to get them money. And I'm excited to announce to you that in a couple of weeks, our teens are going to have the whole service for worship and they're taking about 15 of them and going to the mission field. And I want to get behind that, don't you? I want to get behind 15 or 20 kids going to the mission field. Going to a foreign land and helping people. That's exciting. Other things we're trying to do. In October, we have our first missions conference that we've had in two or three years. Our church obviously went through some, some, some tough days. And we've not, we've not put the emphasis on missions like we needed to. We're getting back to that this year. I'm asking you now, let's start thinking about what we can save, what we can give. And I'm a, listen, without the conference, if anybody here is not, you're just never filling in anything on the missions box on your offering, would you please start giving a dollar a week? Just throw a dollar in there, 25 cents. If you don't give anything to save the world, would you, would you change that today and put a dollar on there? Chantha Chim in Singapore really needs the help right now. Just put Chantha's name. We'll send it to him, you know, if you like. doesn't matter, whatever you want to do, but... It's exciting. And then number four, and I'll just read these last couple. It'll be a time of unparalleled violence and suffering. Church, if you would just mark in your margin, verse 15 through 21. Oh, man. Listen. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable what you're going to read is going to take place. Even before the Great Tribulation. But in that last three and a half years, basically verse 21 says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world at this time, no, nor shall ever be. In other words, the flood that destroyed the earth and Sodom and Gomorrah, that's like kindergarten compared to this. Kindergarten. Number, number six, number five, just for your notes, it'll be a time shortened for the elect's sake. Verse 22 through 24. And then lastly, just for your personal study, for your small group, it'll be a time of countless spiritual imposters. Verse 25 and 26. I encourage you to read through the rest of the chapter this week. What I want to do right now is just, I want to encourage you where you're at, church. Just before we give an invitation... Hey, man, this, is, this was the, I knew there was coming a message that was going to kind of transition us into the, into the next few chapters. Next week, we're going to talk about 
blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, hardening your heart. Next week, we're going to look at some people that though they, they went through all this tribulation, they still would not repent. Can you believe it? You would think somebody would repent. Why is it that people just don't repent? Why is it that people can sit through services like this and just walk out and like nothing ever happened, like it's no big deal, like, you know, what's on TV? You know why? Hardening of the heart. We've just gotten to the place where one dollar is just too much to give to missions. I need my Starbucks. It's just a, da- a sad day we live in. Hey, and I'm, I'm guilty sometimes. I'm not, I'm not picking on you. I'm, I'm raising my hand. Hey, it's not easy with all the leisures of this world, in America rather, it's not easy sometimes to put things in perspective, is it? It really isn't. But I want you to know we can make a difference, church. We can make a difference. I want to read you a letter I got from a lady that just attended our services. I thought I'd encourage you and just uh, give the invitation. My husband and I visited your church recently. We visit Hot Springs twice a year. We've been Christians for many years and belong to another church denomination. Each time we come, we like to visit other denominations to see what the Lord is doing throughout the body of Christ. This time I felt the urging of the Holy Spirit to visit a Baptist church. I told my husband, we should go to a Baptist church because the messages are always good. (laughs) As we went downtown yesterday, we passed two Baptist churches on Central Avenue. We were definitely going to decide on one of them. When we parked our vehicle at the fountain downtown, a lady named Jamie... Jamie Wagner. She met us with some cold water, and she handed me a card. Wow! My surprise to see Gospelite Baptist Church on the card. I knew right then we had an appointment with the Lord. With great anticipation and expectation, we attended your service. I cannot convey to you how much we enjoyed your service. The music was powerful. The message was wonderful. It was presented well. It was organized. But the content is what grabbed my heart. Our church has not grown for quite a while, and now I know why. We're not following the biblical principles you taught. We greet each other, but have, not, but, but, but have only contact with our inner circles outside the church. I'm still part of the problem and not part of the solution. So many of us in the congregation are critical of our pastor. It's no wonder he can function at all. We do take food or send a card, but never follow up and walk alongside each other. The true abiding love is not present, although we do love the Lord. I've blamed our pastor for the lack of growth, but as you pointed out, God takes care of the numbers. I can see why he hasn't added to us. I've learned so much today. I've never identified our lack of love for one another as our problem until I came to Gospel Light and saw how much love is in that church. We have ministries. We have Bible studies that are pitifully attended, prayer meetings that hardly anybody goes to. But the greatest thing is love. The Lord definitely had us here today. Thank you for preaching the word. Thank you for people who love one another. You know, Pastor, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. I want to be that spark. Change begins with me. God bless you and your church. Sue, let me tell you something, church. You know who that letter was for? Me. That letter's for you. That letter's not so much to brag on us. We ought not walk out of here feeling like, no, that letter is for us to say, you know what? Change begins with me. If I'm going to present myself at the coming of Jesus Christ in all manner of holy conversation and conduct, I I need to change some things. I need to be ready for this 
Easter Sunday that pastor's talking about. I need to be listening for what does he want my family to do? What does he want us to be involved in? Where should we be serving him at Gospel Light? I want to be busy in these last days. I want to be part of the solution. Not the problem. Amen? Amen. So we just preached on prophecy, but you know what it came back to? It came back to February the 8th, 2015. Right here. Right here. It doesn't come back to, well... One day Jesus is coming. Until then, we'll just sort of hang in there. No, no, I ain't hanging in there. I'm not going to hang in there. I'm going to keep on keeping on for Jesus with more fire and fervency and excitement. And I'm, 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 I'm happy to be serving Jesus in 2015. You say, yeah, but preacher, what, what, what if you're one of those guys that gets beaten? You know what? I guess the Bible says when that time comes, if it comes, God will give me the words to say. And it'll be okay. I'm not going to try to figure all that out. I'm just going to keep my eyes on Jesus and serve him with, with everything I've got. Let's bow our heads, shall we?